Welcome to Barkology, the ultimate podcast for dog lovers and aspiring trainers. I'm Chantelle. And I'm Angelique. And we're going to be taking you on this thrilling journey into the wonderful world of dogs. Every week we'll delve into canine behavior and training, offering you insights, solutions and inspiration to help you unleash your dog's potential. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Barkology. So today we're going to be exploring a topic that's really important, not just for our well-being, but also for our dog's well-being, and that's the concept of resilience. Yeah, so resilience is basically an individual's ability, whether it be a human or a dog, to recover from and resist the negative effects of stress. So it really is a remarkable capacity to adapt positively, to bounce back from life's hurdles. I'm sure we've all experienced that. But this topic really has a lot of research behind it. It's really fascinated researchers for decades, particularly since the early 2000s. So there's been a lot of researchers exploring how resilience interacts with the health and well-being, as I said, both in humans and in our dogs. But before we delve deeper into resilience, we need to understand the stress response cycle and what it actually is. And it's basically this cascade of hormonal and behavioral responses that kick in when we or our dogs face a stressor or a trigger. And it's often termed as the fight or flight response or the freeze or the fawn or the fidget. So the five F's. And in dogs, this can manifest in various ways from either barking to avoidance behavior. So we see this a lot with reactive dogs, for example, where you might have a dog that is afraid of other dogs or afraid of people. And they use like mechanisms like barking, growling, lip curling, etc., as a way to keep the trigger away from them. And in terms of avoidance behaviors, that could be things like instead of the fight response, they might choose a flight response, for instance. So um, you say with the avoidance behaviors, it might be that they might see a dog or something else that they're scared of, and they might choose to turn away, move away, etc. Yeah, that's exactly it. But the key that, you know, a lot of people don't know this is that we need to complete the cycle. So how is the cycle completed? For individuals that are really resilient, once the stressor or the trigger, whatever you want to call it, just that thing that causes that, you know, the 5F response is dealt with or passes, the stress response winds down and should return to baseline. But for those of us with an insufficient resilience, this response can stay elevated for a long time, which can lead to a lot more issues. So we all know how chronic stress can be really, really bad for us. Yeah, absolutely. So if we break this down even further, so if you consider a dog, for example, that has been frightened by a loud noise, so it could be a firework, thunder, anything, you know, it could just be a gunshot, um, absolutely anything that just kind of comes out of nowhere. Now, a resilient dog might show signs of stress just momentarily. So perhaps they might have like an increased heart rate, they might become more alert so you might notice that in their body language but then they do quickly return to their usual relaxed states 
quite quickly. In contrast, a dog with less resilience might remain anxious or on edge for a longer duration of time. And I think historically, we've all kind of assumed that resilience is a personality trait. So you either resilient or you're not, and it's said that way for life. But recent evidence has actually suggested that it's a lot more complex than that. It's a dynamic process that's influenced by a whole bunch of factors, right? So we know we have genetics, we have environment, we have learned responses and neurophysiology. Um, and resilience can actually also vary depending on the stressor and the individual. Yeah. So if we talk about now about resilience conditioning, so it's very similar to say how we train one of our muscles. So through specific activities and exercises, we can basically enhance an individual's physiological ability to adapt to stress. So this doesn't necessarily involve learning or memory. It's just about physical and neurobiological adaptation. Right. So is that for example like how meditation and yoga can change the brain structure and function over time and lead to more resilience um i think similarly for dogs certain activities can definitely help build resilience too although the nature of these activities can really differ yeah and we can include things like food games and that kind of thing with that so i remember with Samba, my youngest puppy. Well, she's 17 months now, but when she was younger, you know, they go through a bit of that phase where they see something new or they hear something new and it does kind of freak them out. So I'll give you an example. So I was in my office and she was with me and I used the printer for the first time. And obviously she'd been up into my office lots of times before, but she'd never heard the printer before. And so she went into full fight mode, like hackles up, barking. And like, she was like, oh my gosh, what the hell is this thing? Shooting up paper and making noise. So I was just like, oh, okay, interesting. So I literally just got, I think if I hadn't have interrupted with the food game. So I literally just did some of the find it game with her where I literally just grabbed some food and I threw a bit of food to the side of me, got her to chase it. And, you know, she did, we did that for a few repetitions and she actually calmed down much quicker than I think if I hadn't have done anything with her, if I hadn't have interrupted. And we did like literally just a couple of minutes of playing that game. And then what I then did was I then set the printer to print again and I played the food games whilst the printer was going and she's never reacted negatively since she's always just been like oh, okay cool the printer's fine it's safe so we can use things like food games toy play sniffing etc um you know with all these kinds of examples and I think it does these things can help to teach your dog to become more resilient in certain situations yeah but there is actually something called the resilience rainbow so this was, I think, coined by the behavior fence, if I'm not mistaken, but it's it's a framework that looks at building resilience in dogs. So there's a lot more that we can do. Like, for example, if I'm seeing a client, I can sort of follow this framework. Or if you have a dog that is maybe um, but reactive, maybe has some separation anxiety, things like that, by looking at this framework, it's greatly going to increase your dog's quality of life at the very least. So... There are seven domains that we look at, and that's why it's called the resilience rainbow, right? Because of the, the seven domains. So the first one's decompression. The second one is safety and security. The third is completing the actual stress cycle. Then we have mental and physical well-being. 
predictability, which is so, so important, social support and agency, which is another very, very important one. So I think start us off Chantal. Okay, so let's delve into these one by one. So first of all, decompression. So this is basically about reducing mental pressure in dogs. So this can be achieved through things like relaxation exercises, scent work, just cuddling your dog, even decompression walks as well. So you might have heard that phrase. We use the word, those words quite a lot. And it's basically just right. about letting your dogs walk out in nature and just letting them be dogs and letting them do doggy things without worrying about getting them to do stuff or train them or anything like that. Obviously, you can, you know, work on recalls and that kind of thing when you're out on these walks. It's not just about letting your dogs just have a free for all, but it's just about walking them in places where there's lots of scents you know so I like forests and woods for decompression walks um, game farms um, and the goal is basically to reduce stress-induced hyperactivity of the sympathetic nervous system yeah and this one I think people skip over a lot when it's actually the very first step that we want to look at mm. um, okay so the second one is safety and security. So there is a difference between safety and security. So one is, is the environment kind of safe, right? Your dog's not going to get injured. They're not going to get hurt. They're not going to get bitten. You know, that's, that's safety. Security is how is your dog feeling? Do they feel safe? So let me give you an example. So if your dog is maybe anxious around other dogs and they are around a very sort of calm, really well-behaved golden retriever that's friendly but not pushy, you know, that's actually kind of ignoring them. Your dog is safe around that golden retriever, but they don't feel secure necessarily because they might be anxious. They might, you know, still have those sort of unsure feelings. So that's the difference between safety and security. Our dogs can be safe, but they might not feel secure. So it's really important um, a dog that feels safe is more likely to recover quickly from stress. So it's really important. Yeah. And the same as us really as well, isn't it? If we feel safe, then yeah. also much more likely yeah. to recover quickly as well. Okay. So now completing the stress cycle. So this is really, really crucial. And it's about ensuring that after a stressor, a dog's stress response completes its cycle and returns back to baseline. So again, this could be through active or passive methods. So it could be play, relaxation, massage, perhaps like tea touch, or even like structured exercises like sniffing games, um, detection, scatter feeding, anything that involves the dog seeking system, really. Yeah. And I think just something important to note there is that you have to look at your dog as an individual and whether this activity is having this effect on your dog. So for example, if you have a resource guarding dog and you are doing scatter feeding in between tens of thousands of other dogs, you know, that's a sniffing activity technically, but it's not really going to have the effects that you want because that's still going to be stressful for your dog because they're constantly worried, is this dog going to eat this or something like that. So it, it really has to be individual to your dog and what makes them feel that way right yeah absolutely okay. <laughs> yeah so on to the next one we have mental and physical well-being so this goes without saying but regular vet checkups and I would say also get a vet 
that has some idea of behavior so that they can do a checkup sort of aimed towards that as well. Because a lot of vets, um, you know, we send clients in for a checkup before we see them. And the vet literally sort of asks a few questions, looks at the dogs, and that's it. There isn't blood work done, nothing. Um, you know, and, and it does make it difficult for us and for, for the dog as well, because it, it might be something physical that's been missed. And, you know, we can try as much as we like, but if it's physical, we can't really do anything about it behaviorally because that's that's the root. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's very, very important. You obviously want proper nutrition. Speak to a nutritionist about that. You know, speak to an expert about that. Um, if you have like a sport dogs, what you feed them might vary slightly to a dog that is 13 years old and arthritic versus a new puppy. Um, if you have a dog that's anxious, what you feed them might be different to like a very outgoing dog possibly. So just speak to, um, you know, a very capable person with regards to that. Then sleep. It, yeah, I'm going to say it again, but it's very, very important. Everything's important, but sleep is especially important in our modern lives because we are so busy. There's a lot of dogs that don't get enough sleep. We often see this in dogs where there's kids in the household or if there's a multi-dog household with loads of busy dogs, um, or when dogs like get taken to a work environment, things like that, they don't get enough sleep. And I've noticed with a lot of my clients, simply changing this, just making sure that the dog gets enough sleep, decreases their reactivity like tenfold. Um, we see this a lot in South Africa with a lot of dogs that sort of alert bark or bark when the neighborhood dogs are barking or when people go past um sleep is something that a lot of them lack so doing that like i found greatly decreases their barking which is good for their overall health right because yeah. we're not just working with behavior in a vacuum the body is also there so it's very very important for them and it does support their ability to cope with stress yeah, definitely, definitely. Just a point as well I wanted to say about the vets and things, because like you said, you know, not every vet is a specialist in anything. And some vets are just like GPs, you know, in that they just yeah. kind of have a general knowledge of stuff. So I'm actually registered with about four or five different vets. And I go to yeah. anyone depending yeah. on what it is that I want help with. Okay, so it's fine to be registered with more than one vet. You don't need to go to see the same person all the time it's a bit like you know if you've got a bad back for example you're probably not going to go to a GP you you know you need to go to someone more specialized and it's exactly the same thing with GP with them um, with vets okay so again even for things yeah. like nutrition and everything else you know vets specialize in in different things so that is fine to do that um, okay, predictability. So that's another key aspect. So dogs really thrive on routine. So predictable, mild stress can actually build resilience. And it is about just striking a balance. You know, too much unpredictability can lead to anxiety, but too little can result in boredom. So you, know, it, you can you can vary your routine though as well. You know, I mean, my dog's routine is probably different every single day just yeah. because of my job and everything else you know they're not necessarily fed at the same time every single day uh, yeah. because that can then lead to like uh, problems in itself More problems. Dogs <laughs> letting you know um you know but it is fine to kind of have a bit of a variation but you do need a, you know the dogs do like a routine yeah something interesting actually I read a study a long time ago 
that enrichment has more of a positive effect if it's given on a predictable schedule. So just something like super interesting that stuck with me. Mm. Uh, okay, the next point, social support, which is also very important. Our dogs are social species. We are social species. That's why we get on so well. This doesn't mean that you need to now work on your dog reactive dog being friends with other dogs. That's not what we mean by social support when we say that. We just mean that your dog needs positive social experiences and secure attachments to help in developing resilience. So a lot of dogs are very happy being only dogs in households. They love social experiences with people and new people, you know, things like that. Other dogs do need um, some social interaction with other dogs, right? So once again, you look at your dog that are an individual and you find out what social support means to them, you know, in your lifestyle, in your life. Um, and it could be something as simple as being present for your dog in a stressful situation and providing them with, um, you know, confident, happy friends that they see on a regular basis. So if there's a thunderstorm, be with your dog. That That's going to help them. That's something really simple. It's really easy. You can do that. Very, very easy. If you go to the vet, you are with your dog. You are not sending someone else with your dog, right? If if you are their sort of secure base, then then you are the one providing that social support to them. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And lastly, agency. So agency is about giving dogs a sense of control over their actions and their environment. And if you think about it, most dogs don't really have much agency. You know, we control everything. We control what they eat, when they eat, how they eat, when we take them for walks, what activities we do with them. You know, dogs many years ago used to just be let out their front doors and just were allowed to entertain themselves all day. Whereas Whereas nowadays it's not safe to do that and we just don't have those lifestyles and we are indoors a lot more as well just because of the way technology is and a lot of us work from home and everything else okay so it is important to give your dogs a sense of control whenever possible so this could be things like you know if you do walk them off leash then let them choose where they want to go obviously making sure that it's always safe at all times so you could do things like that I let my dogs I, I let them choose what toy they're going to train with for example or what chew they want so there's lots of different ways in which you can you know exercise that as well yeah definitely and I always mention the example of Swift choosing is he going to wear a harness or just a collar today mm. right what, what does he want to do um, sense of agency, let them choose where they're going to sleep. Is it going to be here? Is it going to be there? Necessarily, you know, as, as much choice and sort of freedom you can give your dog, the better it's going to be. Um, let them choose which choose. I think you said that, you know, those are all very, very, very good things. Something that a lot of owners forget, though, is especially when they have a puppy and they want to socialize their puppy, is they force their dog to say hello to people and dogs. And a lot of people that also do behavior modification sort of incorrectly force their fearful dog to say hello to other dogs and people. And that's not something you want to do either. So you want to actually obviously make sure that whoever you are greeting is happy with the greeting, if there's going to be one. And then you need to actually follow your puppy. If they want to go closer and it's safe to do so, then you do that. If not, then 
you know, you follow your puppy. If they would rather walk away from the other dog, then that's what's happening. If they don't want to say hello to a human, that's what's happening. If they don't want to be picked up, definitely you are advocating for your dog. We're, we're not doing that. Um, it's, it's really, really, really beneficial for our dogs to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's basically the resilience rainbow in a nutshell. All right. And it can basically, if you follow this rainbow, it can really be transformative, both for like training, behavior modification programs. It's really flexible. It's really non-linear, which I really, really love. And it really allows you to kind of cater because obviously all dogs are individuals and all owners are individuals as well. You know, we all have our own routines and our own lifestyles and everything else. And whether it's a puppy, a rescue dog, a family pet, a sports dog, you know, just building resilience can really just make a world of difference to your dog. Yeah. And remember resilience in dogs and in us humans, it's about more than just bouncing back you really are building a foundation for a happy and healthy life if you do these things. But thanks for joining us, guys, and see you in the next one.